Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello, everyone. Do you have any scriptures posted on the walls of your house? Let's talk about one of the best ones today. But first, I have not forgotten about our study of 1 John. My travel schedule has just been, well, horrendous the last few months. But, you know, it all slows down for me on Veterans Day and afterward. And I hope to get caught up on so many things But in the meantime, I do want to ask you to check out my two newest books, Calm Your Anxiety, Winning the Fight Against Worry, and a smaller devotional book entitled Calm Your Anxiety, 60 Biblical Quotes for Better Mental Health. These are good books for gifts, but also to be of encouragement to you, and they're available wherever you get your books. Well, when we built our house, Katrina and I put a rendering of Psalm 118, verse 24 on the inside wall by the front door. It says, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Every guest in our home over the years has passed those words as they left. Recently, I was entertained in a friend's home, and I noticed over the dinner table a beautiful rendering of a verse from the book of Acts, Chapter 2, verse 46, it says they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6 encourages us to post scriptures on the panels of our houses, and one of the most popular verses through the years for that is Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. It says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Becky Spellvan, a longtime teacher, and a benevolence worker wrote an article for her local paper recently. I read it. It said, When we were young, my sisters, brothers, and I knew that church-going and acts of giving were important and would not be compromised in our family. Nightly prayers beside our beds, blessings before meals, church attendance every Sunday morning and night, and working together to get things done was taught by our parents— Therefore, children knew that in our household we would honor our father and mother, work hard, rise early, use time wisely, get something accomplished every day, enjoy time together even when working in the store and in the fields, treat each other the way we wanted to be treated, and observe the verse on Mama's wall hanging that said, But for me, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Well, do you know that it's just as practical as that? None of our families are perfect, even if it's a single-person home, as mine is since my wife left for heaven. Being a parent is not easy, especially in today's society that's becoming increasingly anti-Christian. But saying that as for us and our family will serve the Lord must be done. It isn't optional, 
And it's a very good idea to put that verse somewhere in your home. It is the most succinct verse in the Bible about a family-wide commitment to God. It's a bold proclamation, a defiant declaration that regardless of what other people do, we will build our marriages and raise our children and live our lives for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The man who originally spoke those words was Joshua, a man of faith, one of the two spies who had tried to persuade the Israelites to enter the promised land when they had first come to the border years before. He and Caleb had said, in effect, with God's help, we can cross over the Jordan and take the land. But the ten unbelieving spies carried the day, resulting in 40 years of desert wanderings. In due time, Moses died and Joshua took over. Chapter by chapter through the book that bears his name, we see how he led the Israelites across the Jordan River and into the Promised Land, how he overcame Jericho by God's tremendous help, and how he directed the conquest and the division of the land in order to give the tribes of Israel a permanent homeland in the territory God had promised to Abraham centuries before. The book ends with Joshua's final message to the Israelites in chapter 23. It says in Joshua 23, verse 1, After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and he said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. And that's equally true for you and me. Whatever we've done or accomplished, if there is any good in it at all, it has been the activity of the Lord on our behalf. Joshua went on to remind these elders of the victories the Lord had given to them, and he warned them against being seduced by the false philosophies and the counterfeit gods all around them. In verse 14, he said, Now I am about to go the way of all of the earth. In other words, he said he was nearing his death. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Joshua was referring to the promises recorded in the first five books of the Bible. Now, of course, we have the completed Scripture, 66 powerful personal books in the library of the Lord, succinct enough to hold in our hands and yet packed with 31,000 verses, many of them specific promises from God for those of us who are in Christ. And you know, don't you as I do, that not one of all of the good promises the Lord your God has given you has ever failed. It never will. They will always come to pass. Each and every promise that God gives will be fulfilled. But there's a flip side to it. Just as the Lord gives us promises, He also gives us warnings. And the next verse, Joshua chapter 23, beginning in verse 15, says, but just as all of the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to pass, so he will bring on you all of the evil things he has threatened if you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go to serve other gods 
and bow down to them. In other words, you just cannot live any way you want to, yielding to every temptation you feel and serving whatever God you choose, not if you expect God to bless you. That's the way Joshua ended his message. He was warning them about disobeying the Lord even as he was encouraging them that if they serve the Lord, every promise that Yahweh has given them would be fulfilled. That is the essence of chapter 23. But there is one more chapter in the book of Joshua, the final chapter, Joshua 24, and that's the story of Israel's response to Joshua's message as they reaffirmed their devotion to the Lord just as he had encouraged them in his farewell sermon. It says at the beginning of Joshua 24, Then he assembled all of the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Shechem was a very significant spot because God met Abraham there and promised him the surrounding land for his descendants who would become the nation of Israel. Later, Abraham's grandson Jacob dug a well there, which was made famous centuries later as the place where Christ met the Samaritan woman. And by the way, that well still exists today, and I've visited it on two different occasions. And so in the sacred spot, Shechem, Joshua opened the rededication ceremony for the Israelites by reviewing the history of their nation, starting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can read these verses for yourself. He reminded them how the Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt, how Moses had led them out, and how the Lord provided for them in the wilderness and had turned curses into blessings on their behalf. Yahweh parted the Jordan River, caused them to conquer Jordan, and helped them to possess the land. Joshua reviewed all of this, which pointed to the unique calling and blessings from God on this very special and peculiar nation. Then Joshua challenged them with these climatic words in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. He said, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt, and serve Yahweh. But if serving the Lord Yahweh seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the god of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Now, this paragraph is surprising. Joshua said that if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, you have the ability to choose whatever God you want. You can serve money. You can serve pleasure. You can be controlled by your lusts and desires. You can serve popularity and power. You can serve your own life's agenda. No one is forcing you to live for Jesus Christ, who loved you and died and rose again to give you eternal life. You can serve whoever you want. In other words, you can have your own wall plaque made that says, As for me and my family, we will serve the God of happiness and earthly success and the gods of pleasure and self-determination. You can do that, said Joshua, but not me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Of course, this kind of affirmation is more than a plaque on the wall. It's a pattern of life. 
In his book, The Faith of Our Children, my friend Matt Markins, who is the president and CEO of Awana, made three important points. He said the single most catalytic factor to influence the formation of lasting faith in children is loving, caring adult relationships. And he said the most foundational factor to influence the formation of lasting faith in children is Bible engagement. And he said shaping the faith of our children takes place in the context of an increasingly secular culture. So how then can we do it? Well, I want to give you 10 suggestions that will help you put Joshua 24:15 into practice. And notice also verse 25. That's an important verb that we find in that verse. It says, On that day Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he reaffirmed for them the decrees and laws. Well, we've got to reaffirm our commitment to the Lord, and that's the very first thing. We do that really on a daily basis. When we receive Christ as Savior, well, that's a one-time event, like being born. But our walk with Christ is a daily matter. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So we need to arise and give every new day to the Lord. Every morning when I wake up, I say, Lord, this is your day. I am your servant. I want to dedicate myself to you. We've got to rededicate ourselves every fresh day because that sets the tone of our spiritual life and that sets the tone of our families and our homes. Second, spend time every day reading your Bible and praying. Building relationships with others requires nine very important qualities. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are listed in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. These traits flow from the reservoir of the Holy Spirit as we grow in our relationship with Jesus through frequent interaction with Him, and that primarily takes place as we study the Bible and speak to the Lord in prayer personally as one person to another, as one friend to another. We need diversions, yes, but we need our devotions more. Third, as you do this, the Lord will highlight certain Bible verses in your heart, so then share them conversationally with your family group. Do it naturally. The oldest parenting advice ever given, reaching all the way back to Moses, says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and you must think constantly about the commandments that I'm giving you today and teach them to your children and talk about them when you are at home or out for a walk at bedtime or the first thing in the morning. So find the verses that God really uses to speak to you and just share them with your husband, your wife, especially with your children or with whoever is in your family group. That's a very powerful way of forming and shaping the atmosphere of our home. Talk about the scriptures God is giving you day by day and talk about them naturally, encouragingly, conversationally, openly, and without any hesitation. Fourth, offer prayers of thanksgiving over your meals. This is a biblical habit, one that Jesus practiced faithfully 
Almost every new habit feels awkward at first, doesn't it? But you'll quickly feel at ease as you do this because it is natural to thank the one who provides you with your daily bread along with every good and perfect gift. It can be as simple as, Lord, thank you for these hamburgers. Fifth, tuck your children into bed every night with a Bible verse and prayer. If it's appropriate, do so from infancy for as long as possible. Send them off to school the next morning the same way. When our girls were young, my wife Katrina developed multiple sclerosis and her energy flagged late in the day. I tried to be home every night to help the girls settle in. I'd go from bed to bed, sharing a verse with each one and tucking them in with a prayer. And those were some of my sweetest moments as a father. Now that I'm a family of one, I try to tuck myself into bed in the same way with scripture and prayer. Begin and end the day with the Lord. Sixth, get involved in a good, solid local church, which is the family of God on earth and a a vital ally in raising your children and the nurture and admonition of God. Do you know that I prefer keeping elementary and teenage children in the adult service with me? But I want them also to have an age-appropriate fellowship and instruction time, and so this really involves at least two hours a week in church. During the worship service, I like to have my family together on the same row of seats, but I also want them to have some hour when they can build friendships and they can learn at their own level in a church. So that's two hours, but it's really not that much, is it, compared to all that our children are exposed to the other 166 hours of the week. Seventh, if you lose your temper or have a lapse of judgment, as I sometimes do, Confess and apologize. Work on overcoming any harmful issues you have, even if it requires counseling. Let your children see your efforts at spiritual growth. It will help them to realize that you don't think you're perfect, but that you are growing and being developed. They'll understand that they need to do the same. Eighth, when hardship comes, trust the Lord and let your family group see you relying on Christ in the storms. They will learn godly optimism from you. Ninth, filter out as much as possible impure entertainment and images from your home like toxic air or polluted water. Monitor your children's textbooks and homework. What comes across our youngsters' electronics is one of the hardest aspects of modern life, but because of that, we must be constantly diligent. And finally, fill your home and car with Christian music, both the classic hymns and the newer songs. Technology isn't all bad. Create your own playlists. Our children should know great hymns like, Holy, 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 Come Thou Almighty King, How Great Thou Art, along with more contemporary songs. The devil can hardly tolerate an environment that is filled with joyful, worshipful music. David George Ball, the Assistant Secretary of Labor under President George H.W. Bush, fought for American workers to have access to 401k retirement plans. He was a dedicated Christian, and in his memoirs, A Marked Heart, he tells his story beginning with his mother, Irene. At age 16, Irene left her home in Gloucester, England, to work as a missionary to deaf children in London. 
From there, she traveled to India to work in a bamboo church, sharing the gospel. Seven years later, broken in health, she returned to Gloucester. One day, she visited Trinity Baptist Church, whose pastor was a young, good-looking preacher named Harold Ball, a graduate of the Moody Bible Institute of Chicago. Irene and Harold became close, and one day, she gave him a plaque for his wall, and on it were the words, If God be for us, who can be against us? Irene said that she had another plaque to give him on a future occasion, and a few weeks later, she said to him, Harold, I believe it's the Lord's will for us to be married. Well, he accepted her proposal, and at their wedding, she produced the other plaque, which ever after hung on the walls of their home, and it said, you guessed it, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, their son David was born a year later, and he said that his parents lived in the light of Joshua twenty four fifteen throughout all of their lives and his childhood. When England was terrorized by the German Luftwaffe, his family went through the darkened streets to church using their flashlights. David's mother warned the children, If you hear a plane, turn off your torches. Even in danger and darkness, this was a family committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the future political leader never got away from that influence. This is what also happened to the Israelites. The book of Joshua ends in verse 31 by saying, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. We cannot control our society or coerce our culture. If the world around us chooses other gods, that's their terrible freedom and their awful mistake. But here's what we can do. We can say, but as for me, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Well, thank you for digging into the riches of the Bible with me. Remember to check out my two books. They both have the same title, Calm Your Anxiety. One says, Calm Your Anxiety, Winning the Fight Against Worry. And the other says, Calm Your Anxiety, 60 Biblical Quotes for Better Mental Health. And you can find those wherever books are sold. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company, Clearly Media. Audio editing by Jared Brummett. Editorial supervision is by Sherry Anderson and Luke Tyler. And music is by Jordan Davis. Thank you for tuning in. And may God be with you until we meet again.